So I want you to go with me to Hebrews, the first chapter, and I'm on a series, I'm on a quest on Sunday mornings to uh, lay a foundation. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of the Lord stands. We're to build our house on the rock as opposed to any other material. We, who's ever heard of the story of the, the, the big bad, three little pigs and the big bad wolf? Who's heard that famous nursery rhyme? Well, one house was built out of straw, one was built out of sticks, one was built out of brick. And when the big bad wolf huffed and puffed, all the other things blew down, but this house with a foundation and with firm, good quality materials lasted. I remember seeing amazing video, you know. There's some folks here that are moving into that Hurricane Alley area of southern Alabama. We were talking about that. You know, we worked in Katrina, and we worked with many of those uh, storms. Uh, you know, I was, on occasion, I would be the first. Uh, Long Beach, Alabama was the first group there that they, the uh, National Guard allowed in with the family members, and I just watched the family members. Some of the houses were blown completely off their foundation, but the foundation was there. And uh, there was a video of a man who his wife kept griping, why are we building our house with just concrete? Why are we building this house this way? This is weird. It looks weird. And he says, trust me, honey, it's going to be hurricane proof. Everybody say hurricane proof. So he built this house and there was an aerial, there was a terrible storm. I think it might have been Katrina. And Blocks and blocks of the homes were just completely destroyed beyond repair. But guess whose house stood? And guess who his wife had to sit there and go, yes, dear, you were right, you know. And don't you hate that? But you love it when you see something that's durable. You love it when you see something last. My wife and I have been grieved when we drive by a restaurant that's closed, permanently closed, you know, through this pandemic, it's sad to us. We love to see things continue. We love to see mom and pop companies make it and businesses make it so people could stay employed, right? We love to see marriages stay strong, kids stay on track with God, the church, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Jesus loves to see us strengthened. He loves to see us winning. He loves to see us fortified. I know this because of the Old and New Testament stories to that effect. But I want to talk to you today about being partakers of the divine nature. I'm going to talk to you about out with the old, in with the new, and I want to emphasize uh, what we have because of Jesus, who we are in Jesus. A Christian is not just a religious per person that routinely goes to church out of religious pattern. Um, you, the Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things pass away and new things come. It's actually a big adventure. It's actually a radical change. There's something called the new birth. There's something called the infilling of the Holy Spirit. There's something called the great commission and the great commandment to go into all the world and make disciples of the nations, to be a house of prayer for the nations. Our prayers get results. Our staff has been praying weekly, and we've been getting some great breakthrough, great results. We're praying for you. We get prayer requests all week, and we lift you guys up, and we're getting results. You, I'm results-oriented. I'm bottom line, want to see things turn around for people. I want to see America saved. I want to see my generation come to the Lord, the boomers, Gen X, the, baby, the, the uh, millennials, or whatever else people are called. I'm believing God for all the population that this moment comprises to be roused, to get their eyes on Jesus. So look, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, it says, it says that, 
God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets to many, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Look at this, verse 3. He is the radiant, Jesus is the radiance of his, the Father's glory, and the exact representation of his, the Father's nature. Jesus said in another verse, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to understand the Old and New Testament, if you want to understand life as it's supposed to be, look to Jesus. Jesus describes and models the detail of God's original purposes. Jesus is the last Adam. The first Adam was the prototype humanity, Adam and Eve, and they fell and they failed. They forfeited the prize. Paradise was lost. They, they yielded to the temptation of Lucifer. This is the old Bible story. You guys remember it? The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But at the proper time, Jesus died for the ungodly. He died for the ungrateful. He died for sinners. He died to save us as was the responsibility given to him by the Father. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against him. And now Christ, uh, Colossians 1.27, is in you, and that's the hope of glory. That's the promise of future glorification. There's something that more that's going to happen through your existence that meets the eye. There's, there are, gonna, are days of heaven on earth. There are great, great challenges and conflicts in these last days. Difficult times will come. Turbulence all round about us. That's why a pastor like me would be preaching to solid, concrete, intelligent people like you. You're cutting-edge Christians. You're thinkers. God wants you to grasp the fact that you have peace with God through your Lord Jesus. He wants you to understand your kingdom rights. He wants you to understand your authority, that you were once alienated and separated, and now you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And the stakes are high. God wants you to understand your purpose on this earth as an ambassador for Christ, as a representative of his kingdom, in your daily life, in your conduct, in your contacts with people, the restaurant, work, school, wherever you go, in church, outside of church, in the functions of our life, what we do with our amusements and our leisure time, all the different issues, we surrender unto him. He is the exact representation of the Father's nature. Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Jesus never went into a village, took a little child and snapped the arm over his leg to teach him something. He never, he never uh, uh, put sickness or leprosy on somebody. He, he in fact, reached out and and healed people of leprosy. He healed people of all manner of sickness and disease. Uh, he fed the 5,000. He, he raised Lazarus from the dead. But yet he said, these works and greater works shall you do because I go to be with the Father. There are some facts here, settled, amazing things that Jesus has given us and what happened on the cross. Number one, he took away the sins of the world. He took away the sins of the world. Number two, he dispatched another helper, the Holy Spirit. That prophecy from the lady, my wife, that was a prompting of the Holy Spirit. It was a good word. Number three, he established a permanent openness between God and man. Did you know you have the opportunity for unfiltered, uninterrupted, unhindered connection with God? The veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying that God had 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 Jesus meet the terms and conditions to pay the price and penalty for humanity's sin. 
We were all under the curse. We were all under a death sentence. We were all guilty as charged. Yet Jesus, who never sinned, became a sin substitute for us. This is why I'm so attracted to Jesus. This is why I'm a Christian preacher. This is why this is a Bible church. This is why I'm presenting this to you, because Jesus brings real change. He said, I came to give life and give that in much abundance. Young people in here are committing their lives to this. Young families. I'm looking at Mary and Danny, and I remember their little daughter when she was small, just strong enough to lift her arms. And during worship, she's lifting up her hands. Oh, well, she's mimicking her mom and dad. Of course she is. Train them up in the way she should go when she's old and not depart. Eventually, it'll not just be watching and imitating mom and dad. All of a sudden, it'll be, you know, it occurs to me that they're training me up in the way I should go. I want the Jesus that these people are living. There's an authenticity around us right now. And in the midst of what the enemy meant for harm, God, to be sure, is purging, purifying, and refining. He's bringing clear definition in this moment of, of social pandemic, social distance issues, and volatilities of all the elements that are happening around. Very similar in my experience, late 60s, early 70s. College, campus unrest, anti-war demonstrations, ecology questions, uh, racial issues, and on and on. Very similar cycle. And here yet, we are an Esther church, meaning that we, like her, brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. So we look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And we set our affections on things above, not on the things of this earth. And we look to the harvest, for the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And, and I believe in God that what's happened with all this distancing, there are people, persons, that are tired of not being able to read people's lips or look, you know, know where people's moods are or, or you, know, you can't be together or connected. I'm convinced there's going to be a fresh visitation of some wonderful opportunities around us. So as your pastor... I felt like I needed to teach a foundational series. The Bible is the word of God. God the Father, his son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit must be correctly understood. We need to understand the doctrine of salvation. We need to understand the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then covet and desire earnestly spiritual gifts. We need to understand the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of our mission. Uh, a sound doctrine is, is the hallmark of this, this era because there are people wanting their ears itched and tickled and they go away to amusements, but God wants us to go right in and get on the word so that we will not, in order for us, not to be diverted from our course. And I'm excited about this, obviously. And I think about this, how he, Jesus, was heir of all things. That word heir, H-E-I-R, is uh, it's repeated again that we are joint heirs with Jesus. There are some in here, you know, you've had people who have passed who, who had, uh, they had their accumulation of whatever their wealth or the properties, whatever, meager or great, and they wrote you in the will, and then you had an inheritance. The Bible says God has chosen our inheritance for us, and that we are joint heirs with Jesus, and that Jesus has all things that belong to him, and Paul the Apostle even said to the church, this will blow your mind, all things are yours. And I want you to read this in 1 Peter. It got real quiet, so it is blowing your mind. 2 Peter, rather. 2 Peter. It's right after Hebrews, so go to 2 Peter, back in the back of your Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can look at it on the screen. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Listen to this. It says, Grace and peace 
be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Everybody say grace and peace. Aren't those wonderful words? Grace means God's provision, God's abundance, God's love, undeserved, unmerited. Who is glad for unmerited love? I mean, I've been married for a long time. I just talked to a couple. They're going to have their 51st anniversary right there next Sunday. Happy anniversary to you. I'm grateful for God's grace in my marriage, for the times my wife has just been merciful to me. And, uh, of course, I've been re- she learned it all from me. I've been the merciful, really merciful. You did learn it from me? Write that down. Let's get it on tape. But, yeah, you, how many of you appreciate mercy and unconditional love? Yeah, that's more like what God is wanting to manifest through the church right now. Unconditional love is it's without condition. It's like, I love you, I value you no matter what. We're even to love our enemies. I value your soul, even though you're antagonizing me and we are totally in polarity with our opinions. Yet still, even though you say you're an atheist or dismissive or you think I'm an idiot, I love you. And I, I have to love you because the Bible mandates that I do so. And good news, the love of God is poured out in my heart. Jesus is at work in me, so I could lean on him when my flesh wants to go the wrong way. I could trust him because I overcome, and I I have the victory. It's so exciting. Look what it says here. It says, seeing that his divine power, I think this is what I want you to get today, seeing. I I pray a spirit of wisdom and revelation gets on you. I pray you see it. And his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life, and godliness. Listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, we won't turn to it, but it says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful through God. Some of you are under attack. Some of you are being tempted. Some of you, the devil has come in and brought challenges that are harsh. You haven't even told anybody about it. It's been a, some of your hearts have gone a little cold. Some of you, you feel some callous building in areas you're, you're disappointed with yourself with. Well, the enemy is the, is the enemy of your soul. But I want to tell you, on the other side, conversely, God has given you divinely powerful weaponry. The, this is where the enemy does not want you to understand the vitality and the victory and the dynamic anointing power, the supernatural power of God for you to speak the word and mountains will be moved. For you to get in agreement with somebody, as feeble as it feels, in the midst of your pain and say, let's get in agreement about this. Oh, we've prayed, my wife and I have prayed when we're going through constant mental bombardment, fatigue, a lot of responsibility, trying to not be scatterfired, trying to do a good job with all of it. And in the midst of it, being called by God to stand on something. It's like my wife would say to me, are you able to get in faith about this? And it's not like an insult. It's like, let me check it out because I'm busy. My mind's going in a million directions. I'm driving the car. I'm thinking about. But because, because we are partakers of the divine nature, he is the heir of all things and he's made us joint heirs with him. Ephesians 1.3 says that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Did you know that? Uh, uh, Olaf Norley translated it back in, I think, the 50s or 60s. Pastor Jim knew Olaf Norley. He translated it, God has blessed us with, get this, every spiritual blessing that heaven itself enjoys. 
When we're praying to our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not to temptation. Deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. What we're saying is heaven's doing a great deal. Heaven's having a blast. Heaven doesn't have air pollution. Heaven doesn't have a border crisis. Heaven doesn't have racial disharmony. Heaven is a unified, beautiful, lovely place. Who would agree with it? Heaven's heaven. Heaven's heaven. You know that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You know we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. It's hard to wrap our heads around this because we're in, we're in the world, but we're not of it. And I'm not trying to advocate hyper-mysticism, but I also don't want you to ignore how divinely powerful your weapons are. The name of Jesus is part of your arsenal. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Demons flee in the name of Jesus. We put the name of Jesus at the end of our prayers because it's the highest and most potent and most authoritative name that has ever been or ever will be. He's King of kings and he's Lord of lords. That's the way we pray. When I hear people use Jesus Christ as a cuss word, it bothers me probably more than most other words. There are some bad, agitating, vexing words. But man, when you turn the most powerful name and the most powerful words into a, a dismissive cuss word, it's a sad thing. But when you understand how wonderful Jesus is, he's the exact representation of the Father's nature. He is the ever-present help in the time of need. He's the savior of sinners. He's the redeemer of the lost. He's the healer of the hurting. He's the one that comes to, to, to bring abundant life. We, we know that that's contrasted by the thief who comes to steal, kill, destroy, chip away our confidence, blur our vision, diminish our authority, have us stumble and fall where we're stuck. God doesn't want us stuck. He redeems our life from the pit. How many times have you ever been stuck in a ditch and Jesus came along, got you out, and got you back on the road of life? Who in here can give Jesus some thanks for that? Seeing understanding, comprehending, knowing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. When I visited you at the hospital when you had Camden, remember what I said to you, whatever his condition, it's going to be for his, not detriment, but benefit. We knew what the enemy meant for harm, God would turn around for good, and we're seeing that. We're seeing that. He is going to be an amazing impact Remember, Trey, when I talked to you about one of your kids, he'll exceed all of our expectations. That is happening. It's just exactly like I prophesied. And he started out with some challenges and issues, and, and God is turning it around for good. God is turning it around. I said such a strong, God is turning it around for good. What the enemy meant for harm, God, and we sang that today. You, what the enemy meant for evil, God's turning it around for good. We picked these songs because it, it reiterates thoughtfully, deeply in music, the, the truths of redemption, of, of what Jesus came to bring to us. that The thief does come to steal, kill, destroy, but Jesus has come to get us out of a ditch. Young people, this is worth banking your whole life on. You just got your learner's permit. You, your mom was in the front seat, your grandma was in the back seat. They are brave women. <laughs> they are brave women. And we've got a 15-year-old driving. I heard the wheels squeech, screeching. I jumped off the back, and it's like, watch out! New driver. And I thought, hallelujah. I thought, you're giving, you know, your parents are trusting you. They're training you, letting you drive the adults to church. Backseat, side. You had a backseat driver and a front seat driver. And then you had the pastor telling you what to do. So you had it from all sides. Yeah, God protected it. God's preparing us. God's making the way for us. God's getting things ready for us. And my point is, 
I've watched you guys. And the seriousness of your folks in the Lord is something that you are seeing as real. You're not just like, yeah, my parents made me come to church. As soon as I get old enough, I'm not coming. No, as soon as you get old enough, you're going to be leaders. As soon as you get old enough, you're going to move into a thinking strategy. You're going to attract some righteous babes that are going to love you. And they're going to, your foundation of your marriage is going to be in Jesus. And you're going to end up going, man, I've been walking with God my whole life. I, didn't, I, didn't, I never wanted to lapse because it's real. It was real for my parents. It was real. It's real for my grandma. It's real for me. Everybody say, it's real for me. And so seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Listen, Pastor Jeff believes this. Pastor Patsy believes this. We taught our kids to believe this. This is the hallmark aspect of St. Louis Family Church. I believe this, what I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching it with conviction and with joy and with happiness and with gratitude because it is real. He meets all of our needs. He's He's a good shepherd. Read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not lack. I shall uh, not do without. He meets all my needs. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by quiet waters. He restores my soul. Boy, does that need to happen right now in a world filled with benzodiazepine and opioids and all the other elements that are floating through and the alcohol consumption through pandemic, how much more do we need? Not the synthetics, not the artificial, not the counterfeits, but the real Prince of Peace. We really need Jesus right now. The church needs Jesus. Unsaved people need Jesus. The football stadiums need Jesus. The baseball stadiums need Jesus. Franklin Graham was just here in a, in a, in a race car track. and 30,000 people need Jesus. He's going up and down Highway 66 like his dad, preaching the gospel. We need Jesus. St. Louis Family Church is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Set your affections on that, seeing that his divine power has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. For by these things he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So that by them, look at this. Oh, this is is it if you want to underline anything. That we might become partakers of the divine nature. That word partaker is another word for participant. You know, I watched the ball game last night... I was really sitting at the edge of my seat when we were winning, and then when we, the guy hit the home run, it, the, some of these Cub fans here are happy about it, but they, they would not dare admit they're in here except once we're in a jersey uh, right over there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have law enforcement deal with that guy. I'll sure him out of the building. During the flood of 93, during the flood of 93, I was working across the street, and I just found a ball cap to cover him because it was sunny, and it happened to be a Cubs ball cap. And so I didn't even think about it because I'm not raised here, so I didn't realize the rivalry at the time of Cardinals and Cubs until that guy got up in my face. He was the owner of the business. And then we had an awards banquet, and he said, you know, this guy was amazing, and what the family church did and what Service International did was just amazing, except for the fact that he had a lapse and wore a Cubs cap while he was working at my company. Boo! Everything changed. I was a hero until then. So there you go. It gets pretty tense. But I'd actually rather, I'd actually rather participate than just be ob- uh, observe. 
Yesterday, we got to watch our two granddaughters, uh, Truly and Lyric. And Lyric wanted me to go to the, to the uh, uh, trampoline and get the, the one purple ball. You know that one? Not any other. We've got about eight of them around. It's like, no, let's go to the, So I had to get out there, walk through the gravel. I went out there. I got out across the lawn. I got, and then I had to hit it through the net, and we had to come out and fish it out. It was like, it was, you know, it's so hard being a grandpa. But anyway, then I got the ball. Listen to me whine. How long did we play catch? An hour and 30 minutes? And I would sit down, stand up, Papa. Stand up, Papa. It's like, I can catch sitting down. You're making me tired. But I'm telling you, though, after I'm whining about it, that was the best part of the day, getting to participate, getting to, getting, getting to, and you know that Jesus wants to participate. He wants you to participate. He wants you to be a partaker. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Partake. You know, I saw one of these black and white movies, and some guy named Jeeves walked in with a coat and tails and a bow tie and white gloves, had a silver platter, and was walking through the party. It was like a 1937 movie, and they're walking around with all the finery and the sophisticated mansion palatial, and they had hors d'oeuvres, you know, finger food, and he, he would say, would you like to partake of these, uh, you know, morsels, you know? And it's like the, the verbiage and everything is so antiquated, uh, but what it means is take it and incorporate it, and we are partakers of his divine nature. When I moved to Oklahoma, I met a man who wrote a song. He pastors Walnut, uh, Walnut Grove Church in, in Tulsa. His name is David Ingalls. And he's a, a beautiful guy. He's now in his 80s. And uh, he wrote a song, I Am the Righteousness of God in Christ. And um, he said, and I was listening to it yesterday. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, a brand new creation in him. I can now approach the presence of God with no condemnation of sin. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I am now complete in him. I'm a partaker of his divine nature. On me, he will not impute sin. Isn't that great? And I told him, I said, you know, I've been listening to Jimi Hendrix, and now I switched, and now I'm listening to you, David Ingalls. I would listen to his album. I went from the Woodstock album from 1969 to David Ingalls, and it's, it's like, and it's like four-part harmony, southern gospel stuff. And so I, when I went up to him, I said, I, I just want you to know, because of the content of your writing, it doesn't really matter to me that I'm switching styles uh, because I want the substance of what you're trying to say. And when I said, I used to listen to Jimi Hendrix, and I listened to you, he said, yeah, I've heard of him. And I just thought that was funny. Anyway, you may not, but, but actually what David Ingalls was saying was far more helpful to me than Foxy Lady, and Purple Haze, okay? Though the song's great, and I suppose we could take I'm the Righteousness of God in Christ and put some screaming guitars on it, and it might even be more pertinent uh, for us, and that's just my view on that. But, so, because I'm getting controversial, we'll go right back to this. Um, Say this with me. I'm a partaker of his divine nature. Let this settle in you. That God has supplied something. Let let this resonate in your spirit that there are benefits to and provisions concurrent with your membership. You know, the American Express Company uh, said there are privileges with membership. And they had a campaign years ago, and they they itemized the benefits. And uh, I want you to go, and we're going to get on to Psalm 103. This is a famous verse. You hear me quote it often. I think it articulates amazing itemization of God's provisions in such an amazing way. 
uh, Psalm 103, verse, oh, we'll look at one through five. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Now, if he says, don't forget them, then he's really saying on the other side, remember them. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Seeing that the blood of Jesus did, in fact, cancel out our debt of sin. Seeing that not only are you covered, he's removed your sin as far as the east is from the west, and he's made you a new creation. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ, and you need to understand that going forward in your life so the devil can't antagonize you and vex you in areas of uncertainty. You've got you to gotta know this and itemize this and not forget this. That's why I'm stirring up your sincere minds by way of remembrance. And my goal is to do just that. I'm speaking to thinking Christians who want to stay on the cutting edge. How many of you have ever had to sharpen your kitchen knives? How many of you have used them and they're great and they hold an edge, but at some point you realize I got to sharpen my knife, right? Who's had to, come, please humor me. Who's had to do that? Who has ever had breakfast but then had breakfast again and again and again and again? Because you got, they say that's the best meal of the day. You got to start your day with nutrition, okay? How many of you had a good car, you filled it up with gas, and you've had to fill it up again and again and again and again and again, and it costs more now than it did a couple years ago, right? Okay, so anyway, we're just saying, but we still have to do it. Remember his benefits, don't forget them. Here's what it says in the Knox translation. Bless the Lord, O my soul, remembering all he has done for you. Here's what it says in the Jerusalem Bible. Bless Yahweh, my soul, and remember all his kindnesses. Verse 3, we're talking about being partakers and receiving and not forgetting. This is the one-two punch of redemption, one of my favorite verses. He pardons all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. Stop. This is a Hebrew parallelism. I'm going to teach you a couple Hebrew words. The Holy Spirit had the writer of this psalm pack a doctrinal punch with rhyme to drive the point home. This is one of the prototype first indications of hip-hop rap in Hebrew right here. And the word for pardon and the word for heal rhyme in the Hebrew. They don't rhyme in English, but in Hebrew, it's salah. Everybody say salah. That means pardon. And then everybody say rafa. Rafa means heal. So see, salah, rafa gets in the mind of whoever's reading the Hebrew. He pardons all my sins. He heals all my diseases. As though these truths are, in fact, integrated or synonymous with one another. And you can see in the New Testament, we started out with Jesus as the exact representation of the Father's nature. He went about doing good, Acts 10.38, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So sickness is oppression from the devil, and Jesus healed sickness. And he reached out and won sinners to the cause. He didn't come to save the righteous, people that were already fixated on being so pious and holier than God. No, he came to save people who admitted they needed help. And he's still throwing out a lifeline. And he's still connecting with people. He pardons all of your iniquities, forgiveness of sins, healing of physical disease, pardons all your iniquities, Heals all your sicknesses. This verse is structured so powerfully. It's way stronger in Hebrew than it is in English. 
And, and it, it reminds me of Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. Surely our sickness he himself bore, and our pains he carried. And by his scourging we are healed. That Old Testament truth was bumped up into 1 Peter 2.24 and essentially says the same thing over again in the New Testament context. If you want to know if it's biblical for God to save souls, the answer is yes. If you want to know, is it biblical for God to bring healing to the sick, the answer is an emphatic yes. If you want to know if you're supposed to stand on shaky ground or solid ground, the answer is solid ground. Because Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He's the rock of our salvation. It's in him we live and move and have our being. And then we look and we assess the benefits. And we understand our entitlement. And we, we realize, Father, in the name of Jesus, on the basis of faith in your name, you saved me when I repented. You granted me repentance. You brought wide awake Christians to share and witness to me. You empowered them by the Holy Spirit. You, the Holy Spirit convicted me of sin and righteousness and judgment. You dealt with me. I was lost and I cried out to you. You prompted me to cry out to you. And then you answered the very cry of my heart by sending godly people and organized a strategy that was beyond coincidence. And then you planted me in healthy, good churches that preached the gospel with godly pastors that wanted to feed and lead the flock with a good, wholesome uh, view and, not, uh, and protect me from false winds of doctrine. You walked me through the fire. You walked me through chaos. You walked me through calamity. You walked me through uncertainty. And it gets better. Listen. You forgive all of our iniquities, heal all of our diseases, who redeems our life from destruction and crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. Look what it says here in the New, in the New American Standard in verse 4. It says in, in verse 4 that he redeems your life from the pit. He redeems your life. Who in here has ever had your life redeemed from the pit? Some of you are going, you have no idea, Pastor Jeff. Who in here would say, I've got the best testimony in this building. I'm glad you knew that God, when you made your bed in hell, God was there. I spent all night in a, an emergency room hallway in a, har a Harbor UCLA hospital in the hood in, in Los Angeles. Gunshot victim over there, paralyzed from the neck down. You know, people just, the, a flu epidemic broke out. People were coughing and hacking all around me. My friend was over there, they said 10, 8 to 10 minutes prior, uh, would, he would have died. God saved him. And I, and I remember just laying there. Nobody would tell me anything because of all the HIPAA stuff. I said, I know you can't tell me anything, but is my friend still alive? Is he, just at least tell me he's alive. They couldn't tell me anything. I laid there for 24 hours like this, hurting, broken ribs and sternum, smashed up, stitches, blood everywhere, hurt arm, and God brought me through it. That was the pit. I got, finally, I did get a room, and I was in a room with four beds. I've never been in a hospital visitation where I've been in four. I've been in three, I've been in two, but I was in a room with four. That guy just had his leg amputated. That guy had a blood clot all the way from his ankle up to the top of his thigh. This guy was suctioning himself because he had cancer, and it was me. And, I, 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 and, and there, we were all from different countries. And it was like international healing moment. And, and I was laying there hurting. And my friend's sons came in and they were crying and they needed ministry and I was wiped out. I needed ministry, but yet when God just had me minister out of my pain, and that's really what's happening to us right now. We're all in a situation. The whole world has been impacted by a huge form of crazy, but that's what the Bible said would happen. Realize this and the end times, difficult times will come. 
He also said the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is my theology. The devil is the small g God of this world who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But God has given us authority as believers. Part of the partaking is that we have the authority of the name of Jesus. Remember when he dispatched people in the book of Luke chapter 10. He gets, behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. He said, the angels of the Lord encamp around you. I, I, my ear is inclined to your prayer. And when you sin, I, you have an advocate with the Father, 1 John 2, chapter 1. And when you confess your sin, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin, push the reset button on your life, and cleanse you, I repeat, cleanse you of all, not some, but all unrighteousness. God is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God desires for you to prosper, to win in life, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's not the American gospel. That's not a health and wealth gospel. Don't let anybody steal that from you. Don't let anybody belittle or criticize the victory. Man, the devil will send people to spy out your liberty, which you have in Christ, and you need to be admonished to stand, understand what you believe, understand why you believe it. My Jesus brought me salvation. My Jesus brought me healing. My Jesus presented the Holy Spirit to me. My Jesus forgives me of all my sin because he's the advocate between God and me. He's given me access to the throne of grace. He's given me power when I pray. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses wherever you go, whether you're in the local political arena you stepped into or whether you're at Jeff City, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a grandma, whether you're a new mom, whether you just went through the fire of your own situation at work. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And who has overcome the world but he or she who believes Jesus is the Son of God. Scott and Shannon are about ready to have their 25th anniversary. They've had a wonderful run. The next 25 will even be more significant and sweeter and deeper and better than the first 25. Here's a couple with 51 years. Here are widows that are going through and working through their grief in a church where we, we visit orphans and widows in their distress and we stand. Whole team full of singles and understand you are elegant and you're first class in life. A widow, divorced, whatever. Just saw a man who came through a divorce and he's like, am I okay or am I welcome? Of course you are. We just keep standing. We keep pressing on. We keep overcoming, right? Right? Hallelujah. Let's all stand up on our feet. I hear some music. My consolation, get off the stage. Uh, music is playing. And I, I've got one minute to pray a, a one-minute prayer. Are you ready? Say this with me. I'm a partaker of his divine nature. I'm a new creature in Christ. I have legal rights, vital privileges, and access to the throne of grace. My God supplies all of my needs. His grace is sufficient for me. Signs and wonders follow me. God answers my prayers. I'm a soul winner. I'm an overcomer by the blood of Jesus, by the word of God. His favor is surrounding me. Opportunities are opening to me. I'm led by the Holy Spirit. I walk by faith and not by sight. He redeems my life from destruction. 
He satisfies my mouth with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagle. Goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lift up your hands and invite him into your world right now. If you backslidden, come back to the Lord today. If you're unsaved, submit your life and commit it to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Ask him to become your Lord and Savior based on Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's what the Bible says. I didn't make that up. I can't pretend to have it figured out that God made it that accessible. But don't let anybody talk you out of it. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation belongs to our God, but he packaged it in Jesus Christ. And God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Lift up your hands a little higher and say, I'm emboldened. I'm full of faith. I'm charged with the power of the Holy Spirit. I love my Bible. I read it. I do the word. I'm acting on God's will. I'm stepping out in faith. I forgive everybody. I'm no longer depressed, nor am I anxious. I'm healed by Jesus' stripes. God's protection has been on my life since I was a little kid. I've made ridiculous choices, but yet God still brought me through. Now wave to me if that's true, wave to me. Some of you go, oh no pastor, don't put those words in my mouth. You know you did. And yet God was merciful to me. Say it, and yet God was merciful to me. Now say it, and yet God is merciful to me. And yet God is merciful, and he's still merciful to us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.